0: And now, uh, let's turn to the matter at hand, which is first of all to open up the floor for a little bit. We are uh, almost two weeks into the new year. So I wonder if anybody has a resolution um, that maybe you haven't given up on it yet, (laughs) And you want to just name it for us. We're going to do a brief little crowdsourced open floor. Uh, We're not looking for the whole story behind the resolution, although I'm sure it'd be beautiful if we had the time to hear the whole story behind the resolution, but I'm wondering if anybody just wants to share the headline on a new behavior or a new goal or a new challenge that you're embracing in the year 2020. Anybody want to raise their hand and tell us what you got? Yes, sir. Be Be present. That sounds great. I feel it. I feel you right here. Thank you. That's excellent. Be present. Thank you. Uh, what else? Yeah. I'm listening to the gospels. Awesome. Listening to the gospels. Like. Want to know more about Jesus? What he actually did and said and lived. Some kind of like audio on your phone or something like that. Love it. Thank you. Uh, right here. Tithing again. Tithing again. Amen. No, I'm just <laughs> a joke. Yeah. Thanks, Jay. Uh, was there one back there? Surrender. Surrender to kind of this flow of God like working through me, which is also gonna take courage. So courage and surrender. Love it. Surrender to this flow of God living through you, which is gonna take courage. So courage is the other word. Yeah. To not control. To not control. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Anybody else? That gets me excited, guys. Thanks for sharing. Oh right, right here. Manifest is the word that you feel like God's given you for the year, yeah. You want to say any more about that? I'll let you if you want. <laughs> uh, just some things that should, should
1: have happened a long time ago, it's just time to, for them to, to manifest.
0: Got it. Some things that should have happened a long time ago, it's time for them to manifest, time for them to show up. Yeah. Thanks, Pam. That's awesome. Cool. Well, um, we want to talk, uh, starting this week and for the next several weeks, about the heart behind a lot of these resolutions, which is... Um, to grow, right? I mean, like a lot of us, we get to the new year and there's something about the new year that reinvigorates a desire to keep growing, to keep going in our life journey and like becoming who we are and what we're here for. And like even that is beautiful, I think. Like the idea that we have this capacity to strive for, for more, to get better to not be stuck where we are, but to keep going. I mean, even that for me is a reason for faith, to believe that we're not our, our own in this story, that we have this sort of drive or this thing that calls us to keep going forward, right? Now, to talk about growing, I wanna to turn to a, a scripture that may not be one that you often think of in a conversation about growing, but I think it's gonna open up the whole topic for us. So this comes at a place in John's Gospel. This is um, at late late in John's Gospel, where Jesus has been crucified and he's he's just been resurrected but the characters haven't figured out what has happened yet so mary his his friend one of his closest in the gospels has gone to his tomb to tend to his dead body and she sees that the team is open and it appears to be empty. And she's really like alarmed by this and doesn't know what's happened. Her assumption is perhaps that the same people that killed Jesus have now taken his body away just to sort of pour salt in the wound of loss for his friends and to insult his movement even further. So Mary sees this and then she goes and gets uh, Peter and John and brings them along to see what's happening. And they kind of peek their head in and they run away. So as usual, the women are first in and last out on the, on the situation. So she's there. Uh, after John and Peter have run away from this, and she's, she's trying to figure out and make sense of what this empty tomb means for her, and we're going to go into the story and, and see if it helps us think about what it means to grow in the year 2020, okay? Check this out. "'Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, "'Woman, why are you weeping?' And she said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. But when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And then Jesus says her name to her. He says, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher, She recognized him. And Jesus said to her, don't hold on to me because I've not yet ascended to the Father. And this is the peculiar thing that I want us to hear together as a community. Jesus says to Mary, don't hold on to me. This is strange. Jesus has been murdered right in front of her eyes and now he's back with her in an unexpected turn of events. And understandably, she embraces him This is her friend and her teacher, and for three years she had known the life of God through him in her life, and then she lost him, and now she has him again, so naturally she embraces him, and he says, don't hold on to me, or to be even a little more direct the way that some translations have it, do not cling to me. (laughs) Don't cling to me. Now, what's going on here? Well, there have been some theories uh, interpreters have offered for what might be happening. Uh, One idea here might be that there's something about the nature of the resurrected Christ, the resurrected body of Jesus, that maybe there's, for some reason, like it's not good to try to hold that body or touch that body. Maybe there's just something about a non-resurrected mortal person trying to interact with this like supernatural reality and it's not, not quite compatible. But the problem with that explanation is the same resurrected Christ in the same stories finds himself with Thomas, and Thomas is having a hard time believing the resurrection. And not only is Thomas allowed to touch Jesus' body, but he's compelled to. Jesus says, put your hand on my body. I want you to to be in touch with the reality of what's happening right here in front of you. I don't want you to have to doubt. I want you to get out of your head and and into this experience right now. So touch my body. See the wounds, right? So that doesn't seem to be a, a useful explanation for what's happening here. Other people have wondered if there's um, something about Jesus being a man and Mary being a woman and perhaps there's an impropriety in this sort of intimate embrace. And not that Mary meant anything wrong by it, perhaps, maybe just in her enthusiasm for this moment, you know, she embraces him, but it's like a maybe there's an impropriety um, between man and woman here. But the problem with that, honestly, is that this is the same Mary who, earlier in the Gospels, had come to Jesus and had anointed his feet, had washed his feet with her hair and with a luxurious and expensive perfume. Now, that is a very intimate act. I don't know how you feel about your feet, but like to have your feet exposed and to have someone um, caring for your feet, that's, that's a profoundly intimate act. Um, in fact, it's so it's so intimate that the people around Jesus have a problem with what's happening, but Jesus endorses that act. He says, This is good what she is doing. It's appropriate. It's beautiful. It's a worthwhile thing for her to do. So those those explanations don't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, I'm gonna work my way slowly toward another picture of what I think might be happening here and why it might be useful for those of us who see the new year as a chance to start growing again. Growing in faith, growing as people growing in everyday life and relationships. Uh, When we talk about growing, it seems that often what we mostly have in mind is more of the same. Like I want to grow in my financial discipline. So instead of putting a couple bucks a week in my savings account, I'll put more bucks a week in the savings account, more of the same, just sort of increasing in the same direction, right? Uh, I want to grow in my fitness. So instead of going to the gym two or three days a week, I'm going to the gym five days a week, right? Uh, Instead of uh, meatless Mondays, I'm going meatless weekdays just to like eat more healthfully and be more conscious about the stuff I'm putting in my body. More of the same, right? Like that can often be the way that we think about growth. And I would argue that often that's exactly what growth calls for whether it's faith or fitness or any sort of part of our life, like often growth means more of the same. Invest yourself more deeply in the patterns that have gotten you this far. Big fan of that. However, the problem is sometimes growth doesn't mean more of the same. Sometimes growth means radical change. And I would offer like a few really obvious examples. One example would be that the acorn that you put in the ground doesn't just become more acorny, right? For an acorn to grow into what it's here for, it has to break itself open underground, and then a sapling, a little little shoot comes out of the ground that looks nothing like an acorn. It's a radical change in form, right? Well, and then even the the change in form from sapling to mighty oak is significant. We might appreciate and understand that the one leads to the other, but that, that, that sort of flexible green thing that can be easily sort of bent against itself coming out of the ground is is quite different than that rigid structure which gives shelter in the woods that we call a mighty oak tree, right? For for that acorn to keep growing has meant some radical revolutionary changes along its way, right? The caterpillar, for example. Imagine the caterpillar that wants to keep growing. Imagine the caterpillar that's like, I want to be all that I can be, right? I want to be the most caterpillary caterpillar there's ever been. Well, of course, like that fixation on the form of caterpillar will prevent it from being what it's here to be. That caterpillar has to somehow find its way into the darkness for a while and, and really like let go of everything that it understood about itself or that we understand about it to emerge in a completely different form. That, that of course, if we really examine it, it, has some continuity with what it was before, but mostly looks like discontinuity. It looks like something radically different has happened. And I think for all of us who want to think about growing, we need to recognize that growth might mean more of the same, but often it means radical change. Now, I'm not just talking about biology, though. I think this is particularly true when it comes to faith or spirituality and the ways that we relate to Christian faith or to think about God. So this is the part where I have to say, hang with me, okay? I want to give you some examples. And if you feel a little uncomfortable with some of this, excellent, okay? the Bible, for example, in the history of Christian faith, they demonstrate that for humanity to grow up, there have been some consistencies along the way and there have been some radical changes that were necessary. So if you read the Bible and you go to the texts that were written the earliest or that reflect the earliest experience of the Hebrew people or the Israelites, if you go to the earliest texts in the Bible, it is very clear that everybody, including the Israelites, imagined That there are many gods, there are many deities, and ours just happens to be the best one. That's that's actually what's going on. So when you read texts like our God is, you know, the greatest of the gods or Yahweh is greater than all the other gods, like the, the first understanding, the first way to read that is to understand that for those people, they definitely imagined that there were many gods and that we just have the best one, the strongest one, right? Like we got the good guy on our side. And then something begins to happen over time. That like from that understanding, this change happens and later in the Hebrew scriptures, we discovered that they've been awakened to the, to the reality that all of this and everyone has come from one source, that there is one God underneath and behind and giving life to all of this. That's a big radical change and it's right there in the scriptures and the only way you miss it is if, you, is if you're, like, you're unwilling to see it, but it's right there, plain as day, black and white in the text. Another example is that there's a a point in the history of the Hebrew people's experience with God where it's very clear to them that the thing that God really cares about is that they get their sacrifices right. So there's page after page after page of instruction about how it is that they're to live out their relationship with God through a sacrificial cult, right? And so we have all these instructions about when you go to the altar and what you do with the animals at the altar and... On what occasions in your life a sacrifice is called for? There's lots of that instruction. And then the prophets come along later, these people who claim to speak for God, and they say, speaking for God, if if God is saying, I don't care about your sacrifices, I don't even like your religious festivals, I care much more about justice, about right relationship between you and your neighbor, about the poor being lifted up and inequities being fixed, like the, the sacrifice thing gets relativized in the voice of the prophets who say God has other priorities. Now we can like you know sit here, you know, with 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 millennia between us in those texts and sort of enjoy how they all hold together and miss the fact that there was a moment in time where an awakening happened among the people. There was a radical change in the way that they thought about what God expected most out of all of them. This was for them to grow up a little further into who they were here to be, right? Uh, we can go further. Um, the Christian movement, the, the Jesus movement, very clearly began as a Jewish movement. Like in the, in the years during and right after the life of Jesus, it was the assumption of all the followers of Jesus that this is a Jewish movement, and he's a Jewish teacher, and it's for Jewish people. And then this disruptive and problematic thing happens, which is the Spirit of God starts pouring God's life into Gentiles who are also following Jesus, and then the Jewish people have to go through this really painful disruption. They have to let go or stop clinging to the vision they had of what God was doing so that they could lay hold of what God was actually doing. And you can read about this in the book of Acts and in the letters that Paul writes. Much of what's going on in the New Testament is people who are grappling with the change that God requires of them from thinking of this whole movement as ethnically and religiously Jewish to realizing that it's bigger than that, that it's different from that. And the only way that the people are able to keep up with what God is doing is to stop clinging to the modality or experience of God that they had had before God blew out their expectations and said it's bigger than that. How about this? Uh, Everybody doing okay so far? Okay, how about this? It's very clear that the earliest writings of the New Testament assume that Jesus is coming back in roughly five to seven days. That's an honest, plain text reading. that the the operative assumption for the earliest followers of Jesus after Jesus went to be with the Father was that we have a very, very short time clock on this game. Time's about to run out, and he's going to be back here very, very soon, like in a couple of days, weeks, months, maybe a year, right? That's That's a plain text reading of what's happening there. By the way, this is why Paul's early letters, in his early letters, Paul says, you know what? If you're not married, best that you stay unmarried. Because why would you waste your time setting up a family and a life when we got about six minutes to make sure as many people as possible understand what God has just done before God comes back to wrap it all up? And then in Paul's later letters, his view changes on marriage. This this is not even like rocket science. You can read this for yourself. This is just an honest reading. In his later letters, Paul starts to be like, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe you should get married. Because this is, this is not, the, the timeline details are not quite what I thought they were going to be. The, um, what you might call, this is the fancy language, the eschatological immediacy of their expectations, the, the urgency with which they imagined this all wrapping up, had to change. And this is a big change for these people who were living in a mode that was like really built on that expectation. And then it starts to look different. And, and if they really want to like keep up, they got to not cling to what they thought they were right about a second ago. How about this one? Uh, for most of Christian history, it has been the, uh, almost at the center of orthodoxy that God is Trinity, that in some mysterious way, God is three in one, that God is Father and Son and Spirit, that God is creator and redeemer and sustainer, that somehow um, God is, is relationship itself in a way that really defies rational thinking in a sense, but like that that's what's going on with the Godhead, right? Well, that doctrine is never clarified in Scripture, and I think if you were hanging out with uh, Peter, you know, the guy who, like, helps launch the early church and who stands up at Pentecost and preaches the gospel, and you were like, hey, brother, man, like, I'm so glad we're brothers in faith, we believe all the same things, you know, God is three in one, he'd be like, what? Excuse me? I'm, a, I'm still a good Jew, I'm a monotheist all the way, hold on, buddy. Now, to be fair, like, a, a good Trinitarian theology isn't polytheistic, but we won't get bogged down in that. But I'm just saying, like, like, and then we sing the oldies, the goodies, right? Like, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, right? God in three persons, blessed Trinity. We sing that like it's like the old stuff, right? But there was a day when that was the new stuff, the idea that God is three in one. How about this one? There was a long period of time where the natural assumption for humanity was that the earth is the center of the solar system, the center of the universe, right? And then the Christians, they had scriptures to back it up because don't you know the Bible says the earth shall not be moved? Well, the only way the earth shall not be moved is as if it it is fixed at the center of everything. And then one day, these guys like Galileo and Copernicus come along. And by the way, it seems that their pursuit of scientific understanding was driven by their faith. Because if God made all of this, then shouldn't you want to understand all of it? It's an act of devotion. It's an act of worship to pay attention to all of this. So they start paying attention to all of this, and they say, "Uh, gang, we got a problem. (laughs) It really looks like this planet Earth that we're sitting on is not the center of anything. This is really disruptive in ways that are hard for us to appreciate in the year 2019 when we've all sort of made peace, or at least most of us, I know there's that flat earth thing going on out there right now, but like most of us had made peace with the fact that like this rock that we're on is revolving around the sun, and it's part of this much, 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 much larger ecosystem, right? These are all moments where um, the community of humanity, the community of Christians sort of growing up in the world, have had to let go of something that they thought was really, really important to cling to. Because, like, in those packages of ideas and experiences and worldview, like, everything fit together really nicely, right? And you can have a really profound experience of God inside a package of ideas and worldview, ways of thinking and believing and worshiping, and then something happens to disrupt that. And people who want to grow have to decide, is this a moment where growth means more of the same? Or is this a moment where it's a little bit like clinging to to the body of Jesus and Jesus is saying, no, here's the thing, like, you were with me for three years in that experience and it was so good, but now God is resurrecting me and it'll be different, it'll actually be better. But you gotta let go of the modality or the package of experiences that you are clinging to because now God is doing something new. I've had a number of experiences in my life where I can think about this. And I think this can be hard for Christians because a lot of us have been taught a very particular narrative about Christian faith, which is one conversion before and after, right? I once was lost, now I'm found. Was a wretch, now I'm not quite as much a wretch, right? But like like one moment of conversion, and by the way, I'm a big fan of that moment of conversion. I'm a believer in that moment of conversion. But I think um, an honest reading of Christian experience says often there are many conversions along the way. I think Mary is in the middle of a conversion moment with the resurrected Jesus while she clings to the body of Jesus and he's trying to tell her, no, there's something new that's about to happen and you gotta let go of that so you can hang with this. And like I can think of a few of those conversion experiences for me. Um, just a, a sort of a few quick examples. Well, when I was in college, I started uh, doing music leading worship for uh, for a youth ministry in the, in the region here. And uh, it was a really, really amazing experience for me. So I would, I would show up as a college student to like lead the, the worship for this really, really big, robust youth group. And I had grown up, like when I was in middle school and high school, we didn't really have a youth group. So I, like, I never had enjoyed the really rich experience of being around a bunch of fellow students who were growing in their faith and um, who were invested in their faith. And so like uh, I loved that experience and I learned to... Um, experience God in, in means of worship uh, that I hadn't experienced before. So I was really, really attached to this thing. And every summer I would go join them at their summer camp where they would go to Ohio and we would do more of that there. And um, like I had an affection for my experience of God with these people, and I had an affection for these people. And yet as my college years were wrapping up, I had this really deep knowing which told me that um, it was no longer time to keep holding on to that experience because God was calling me into a next thing. And it was hard for me because the place where I had been, it was a package of everything. It was relationships and ideas and ways of reading the Bible and ways of believing and ways of worshiping and all of that held together really well. And inside all of that, I felt like I was really flourishing, but I could just sense that like, God was like saying that there, there's a next thing and you're going to have to let go of that so you can move to this. And like, I will never forget sitting on this big boulder, looking out on Lake Erie, which is where the camp was one night at sunset. And I remember this deep knowing, which was this season is coming to an end and you can't cling to it any longer. You're going to have to let go and keep going. I remember weeping and grieving because I, I so loved what I had experienced there. Another experience for me was, um, uh, in 2010, I went and did a life plan. Uh, I went and sought out a wise facilitator out in California, spent a few days with him and I I was trying to make sense of some different sort of things I was feeling about where I was going to go in my life. And at this point in my life, I'd spent years working, uh, for another church that I really, really loved. Um, it was a place where the people and the beliefs And the way of reading the Bible and the way of worshiping and the way of working together all held together really tightly, really nicely. And inside all of that, I had had a really profound experience of God. And for years, growing meant more of the same like go deeper into that community, deeper into that work, deeper into that experience with them. But I go to this life plan because something is starting to feel restless and I'm trying to figure out, do I need to tamp that down or turn it up, right? Do I need to ignore that or pay attention to it? And so I go to this life plan and this facilitator, he's a a wise and gifted person and he just keeps asking questions. That's all he does. He just asks question after question and we map my life and my faith up to this point. And there's a moment in the life plan sitting in this very drab conference room Where these words come out of my mouth that I did not expect, which is, I'm going to have to leave. And like as the words came out, like I I, I literally almost wanted to grab them and put them back in, right? And he was there to hear them, which meant I couldn't pretend they hadn't happened. And So they come out of my mouth, and then again, I I feel this real sadness, this real grief coming over me. Because I loved everything about that. I loved the package of people and experiences and beliefs and ways of reading the bible and ways of worshiping god and the way it all held together really nicely and i loved how i had grown up there like i really got to grow up there and more and more of the same for a long period of time had kept me growing but i realized i was approaching a point where more of the same would keep me from growing rather than keep that track ahead right another one uh, for me was uh, around the same time when i go over to the middle east for the first time and I've shared some of these stories with you, but I was there in 2010 with the the same group that we're gonna partner with as a church, the Telos group, and this was my first experience with them. And I go there and I I encounter um, factional violence and systemic brokenness in ways that I have never seen firsthand before. So not just, you know, personal problems in the world, but I mean factional violence, where communities and neighborhoods and countries are warring against one another, and the violence is real and the pain is difficult, and it feels so deeply entrenched that you just you can't imagine that there's any way out of it. And I go over there with a, with a modality of faith that had gotten me really far in life. It was mostly about how I could grow up and be a good person, how I could avoid doing bad things, how I could live a life of hopefully some personal integrity with the Jesus that I was trying to follow. But I get over there and I realize, like, if, if all I have is, like, is just for Jason, it's just for me, like the Jesus that I knew at that point had nothing to say to a world where neighbors are trying to kill each other. I had nothing to say to that. And like I had a very clear sense that the thing I had been holding on to for a long time wasn't going to get me much further. I was going to have to go through another conversion. I was going to have to start reading parts of the Gospels I hadn't read before and start letting Jesus teach me things that he had not taught me before. But it, it wasn't like smooth and easy. It was... It was a letting go so that I could lay hold of what was next, and it was hard and scary and disorienting for me. About the same time as that, I'm going to grad school, uh, and I went to grad school at a place that was a more diverse theological environment than the one that I had been in before that point. And I love that, by the way. I think it was the right point in my life to be in a more diverse theological environment. But the problem was, like, we'd be sitting in class, and like, the way of reading the Bible that had gotten me that far just didn't work anymore. Because you sit in class with really smart people who have no intent to tear you down. These are people who love the Bible and love their faith, but their love of those things has brought them to read critically, you know? And so you spend a day reading other ancient creation myths that predate Genesis 1, and then you say, oh, wow, Genesis 1 really does kind of riff on these other myths, these other stories. What am I going to do with that? I remember, like, there were days when I would walk out of class so literally disoriented that I would have intended to go from the classroom building to my car. And half hour later, I'd be at the other end of campus and I wouldn't know how I got there, you know? It's <laughs> kind of walking around in a daze. And like, I, I realized at that point, like my way of reading, this text that I love, like if I cling to the way that I used to read it, I can't go any further. I'm gonna have to let go of some of that so I can keep growing. Um, over and over and over again, the thing I was attached to and the place where God was calling me to, they were two different things. And I had to come to terms with the fact that growing at these moments did not mean more of the same. It meant that I had to let go and embrace some radical change. Um, Now I know some of you, like you walked to church on Sunday morning and you thought this is great, it's early January, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to get a good word from the pastor, he's going to like reinforce everything I think and keep me in the same direction so I can do more of the same so I can keep growing. And like that can be really frustrating because I've actually learned that a lot of people think that my primary job is to just reinforce everything and make it easier for you to ignore the things that are calling you to grow in new directions but I just don't think that's my job. And the reason I don't think it's my job is because Jesus is there in the garden with Mary and he loves Mary and she clings to him understandably because it's in his body, in his life, in his friendship, in his presence that she has known all of these good things. And for three years, I suspect that she was growing and healing and becoming more of herself. And so Jesus comes out of the grave and sees her in her distress and, like, I'm, I'm with them in that moment. And, like, if I'm in Jesus' shoes, I so badly want to just embrace her and say, it's okay, everything's going to be the way it was. But it's not. And if you're Jesus, you know not only are things not going to be the way they were, they're actually going to be better. Resurrection is better. It's actually better. It's the resurrected Jesus who breathes on his friends and gives them the spirit and that's, he says that's actually better. He's like, trust me, you want that even more than you want those three years when we were walking around flesh and blood holding hands together on planet Earth, right? Like, resurrection is better. It's the resurrected Christ that gets a hold of Saul converts him into Paul, and gives him a radically new vision for human community, one that had, like, really never been seen before, where Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, barbarian, where all of us find ourselves belonging to one another and God at Jesus' table. This is radically new for human consciousness in the first century, that none of those divisions could matter in what God is doing. It's the resurrected Christ that makes that happen for him, Right? I think resurrection is better, but it's why Jesus has to tell Mary, and he might be telling some of us, the growth that you want at this point means you might have to let go of some things and stop clinging. Now, um, one of the reasons this can be hard is it's traumatic sometimes to let go. The package of ideas and experiences, the communities that we have come from, it can be really traumatic to let go. It can require grieving and loss and there's a psychologist named James Fowler, who in the 80s wrote a seminal work called Stages of Faith. And he views this through the lens of psychology, but he's, he's just trying to understand how is that people actually grow up? And what are the things that keep us from growing? Why do we get stuck sometimes? And how can we keep moving forward? And he had this paragraph. I was reading um, this resurrection account with Mary and Jesus. And I was reading Fowler's Stages of Faith. And they just rang out together in a kind of harmony that really helped me, and maybe it'll help you. I'm going to share the quote with you. He uses a fancy word called henotheistic gods. And I almost edited it out and put another word in, but I thought, no, my church is smart. They can handle this. So uh, what he means by henotheistic gods is those, those packages through which God meets us, but those things that aren't God, God's self. Makes sense, right? So like, like if you have a great church experience, that could become a henotheistic god the actual experience of that church, right? If you've got a preacher that you love, that preacher could become a henotheistic God, right? If you have a certain worldview, which isn't faith itself, but it's the ideas around your faith, that worldview could become a henotheistic God. And he says that growing in faith is meant to keep moving us toward God, God's self, and helping us let go of some of these packages. So with that in mind, hear what he says. When one of our deeply invested henotheistic gods fails us or collapses... It results in dislocation, pain, and despair. Now, real quick, think about the disciples, think about Mary, and the moment they watched Jesus murdered. Think about the hope they had invested in that mode of experience that was ending right in front of their eyes. When we are grasped by the vision of a center of value and power more luminous, more inclusive, and more true than that to which we are devoted, We initially experience the new as the enemy or the slayer, that which destroys our, quote, God, right? But he goes on. Only with the death of our previous image can a new and more adequate one arise. So I was reading Fowler and I was thinking about Mary. And one of our beliefs here is that the scriptures are given not just so that we can know what happened, but so that we can inhabit the same stories, right? And so Mary, like, has a decision. Will she she let, this might sound strange, will she let them kill Jesus? Will she let that part of the story be done so she can lay hold of the more luminous and inclusive vision of the resurrected Christ? Will she stop clinging to what was so that she can lay hold of what is is it time for her to stop asking for more and more of what she had had for three years so that she can get her hands on this new experience of the resurrected Christ? Um, this is not a new experience for many of us at Southland City Church. I know that. We have members of this church who have um, felt this kind of disequilibrium, the loss of old worldviews, the difficulty of finding new modes of faith many times. For some, it's been the conflict between science and faith or the perceived conflict between science and faith. And maybe you had a way of reading the Bible that didn't work with what it seems like almost all the scientists are saying about things like the origins of life, and you had a choice to make. Like, do you double down on the way you did see things, or are you going to let go a little bit and open yourself up to a new perspective, right? For some in the church, it's been the experience of um, either being or knowing and loving someone who identifies as L or G or B or T or Q. And um, to discover the vitality of their faith... And to ask ourselves if our old worldview like, really adds up for what we're seeing in them now, has been disruptive. But I think a lot of us would say it's, it's taken us into a new experience that's been really, really good and important. For some of us, it's been um, that we had a, a vision of faith that was very personal, and that's good. And it had to do with my, my faith in my life, and your faith in your life, and my holiness and your holiness or whatever. But then we woke up one day and we realized It's not just me and my faith and you and yours, because some of the systems are broken. And the more we read the Bible, we found out it seems like God cares about the system too. And it wasn't enough now to just have this sort of individual, me and my faith and you and yours. We we couldn't keep up with what God was teaching us unless we let go of some of that and we opened ourselves up to the possibility that we've gotta address the world that we are creating together somehow. For some of us, it was just the first time we actually read the Bible cover to cover. (laughs) And it just didn't work quite the way we were told it did. It raised questions we'd never wrestled with before. I could go on and on. Now hear me on this real quick, and I promise I'm bringing this to a close. I'm not actually saying that God has been changing over all these millennia. I'm saying that, like Jesus said, I'm saying that God is a really good parent. Jesus says that. Jesus says, you know what you think a good parent is? God's an even better parent than that. And if your four-year-old comes to you and asks you where babies come from, I doubt you're gonna give them an explanation that's appropriate for a 14-year-old, right? I'm not a parent, but I don't think that's the move that most parents make, right? You're 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 gonna meet them where they're at in their development and where their mind is at, and you're gonna give them something appropriate and fitting for that moment in their life. But if you find out that your 14-year-old is clinging to the understanding that you gave them when they were four, you might have to sit them down and say, oh, honey, Uh, there seems to have been some arrested development here, right? Right? Like you're going to have to let go of some of that so you can keep growing up and be where you are right now. That's what I'm saying about God. I think it's what he's been doing in the big human story, and I think it's what he wants to do in our stories because sometimes growing up means change. In the next few weeks, uh, we're going to unpack this in a few more ways. Let me give you a little sampling of what we're going to talk about. This is gonna be sort of scattered over the next few weeks. We're gonna talk about the Bible. Um, I'll give you a preview. I think the Bible is an amazing book with incredible resources for what we're talking about right now. But we're gonna talk about the Bible. We're gonna talk about the problem with a one-legged stool. Just leave that there for now. We're gonna talk about uh, the power and importance of sacraments and practices. We're gonna talk about transcending where we've come from, but including it. Because until you include where you've come from, you're just on the run, right? We're going to talk about putting things back together. There's a lot of us who've um, uh, maybe found a lot of sort of a deconstructive journey, right? Um, but I think the real point is to, you know, you, you build something that works for a season and then something happens to begin to tear it down. Great. Let's start rebuilding. Yeah, and the next thing you build, it might get torn down at some point too. Great. Let's start rebuilding. We're going to talk a little bit about parenting. Uh, I know we have a lot of parents in this community who um, I, think, I think what we feel clearly is it's like, man, I, I don't wanna give my kids things that they have to unlearn the way that I've had to unlearn some things around faith. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna push into that a little bit uh, as we move through this. I'm gonna give you all the answers. <laughs> and we're gonna talk about how to be a church. Here's the quick teaser on that. Often when a church is growing numerically and just really cranking, often what's happening is that community or that voice is nailing a certain stage of development really well. And that's really good. That's really good. But then what ends up happening is people who are really growing, when they get to the point where it's not more of the same, but it's time for change, what can happen then is they have to leave their community to keep growing. And I, I'll just tell you, like one of, our, one of the things we want to bet the whole farm on for Southland City Church is it doesn't have to be that way. Like we're interested in what does a church look like that, that is fantastic for people at many different stages of growth and development and theology and faith and experience of God. That's one of the things we're really interested in. So that's a little preview for where we're coming. Does that sound pretty good? You guys excited? Yeah, okay. Nope, not at all. That's fine. Um, <laughs> Dan's gonna come up and uh, Dan has um, created a really beautiful reflection for us before we go. It'll just take a few minutes, but it's, um, it's very pastoral. And I think it'll just give us a chance uh, to stop listening to me talk and to invite God to um, sort of lead our thoughts or if that's not where you're at right now, maybe just a useful meditation. But before he does, I want to put one more word in front of us. Uh, It's from the scriptures and it's a word for anyone who gets afraid of being lost in this process. It's just this from Philippians. God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion. God who began a good work in you, will carry on a completion. I believe that for all my friends who are on the journey of the mind, and they're asking new questions of faith, and they're afraid they might get a little lost in there. I believe that for all my friends who are uh, on the journey of addiction and recovery. You might be afraid you're going to get a little lost in that journey. I just believe God's not done. You're not on your own. And believe that for those of us who feel like we stopped growing a long time ago, we feel stuck, I just don't think you're done because God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion. That's what we are banking on these next few weeks. Uh, That being said, I'm gonna let Dan lead us in this reflection now.
1: Yeah, we're just gonna reflect on our own faith journeys and uh, we've been sitting for a minute, so if you need to shake out your limbs or stretch, Uh, before settling into a comfortable, open position. We're gonna play a little music and we're gonna take a few deep breaths together. Take a moment just to be here. And this is a reflection on our journeys of faith, but remember, faith and spirituality are categories that include all of our lives. Our relationships, our work, our play So allow these questions to include all of your life too, even or especially the parts that wouldn't be explicitly labeled as faith or spirituality. We're going to begin this practice by recognizing the presence of God. A few deep breaths, and it might be helpful to repeat a simple prayer, something like, God, guide my thoughts, or Christ be with me. And if prayer isn't a word that works for you, just use this time to simply slow down and be present in this moment. Think back to the start of your spiritual journey. Maybe you grew up in a religious environment, Or maybe you started wrestling with questions about God and faith more recently. What are some beliefs or experiences that marked the start of your spiritual journey? Who are some people that impacted your journey at the time? And what were some of the emotions, positive or negative, from that time? We'll leave these questions on the screen and give you a few moments with them. Fast forward a few months or years to the next mile marker in your spiritual journey. Maybe it was your baptism or a summer camp or a missions trip or a book or sermon that left a lasting mark on you. What was the driving energy of your faith at that time? What did your faith look like? Was it full of prayer times, devotionals? accountability partners, weird youth group games? Is there a song or a band that you associate with this season? And again, who were some of the key people around you? We'll put these questions on the screen. What did your faith look like as you grew and matured? What are some beliefs that were really important to you back then? And what are some beliefs that have changed since then? I'll give you a few minutes with these questions. Think back to a time your faith was challenged or even broken. Some call it a dark night of the soul. Maybe it was a season of deconstruction. Was there a moment that marked this leg of your journey? A traumatic event? A change in environment like going off to college? A divorce? Or something more subtle like a book or a question? Think back to a time your faith was challenged or broken. What was your biggest worry or fear at the time? What questions were you asking God or about God? Did your faith eventually go back to the way things were? Or are things forever different on this side? For the closing of this meditation, look back on your journey with as much gratitude as you can. Maybe parts are painful and you're glad they're in the past. Maybe you miss the simplicity and certainty from an earlier season. Bring to mind some of the faces and names that have helped you on your way. From the earliest steps in your spiritual journey to now Spend a few moments giving thanks to God for those people. And we'll put these questions on the screens. What are some things we can learn from the people who have helped us along our spiritual journey? Are there any habits or practices or postures that would be good for us to try? what are some ways we can help others on their journey? Spend a few moments with these questions. we will close our time with a song by Josh Garrels and it's a prayer for each of us on our journey you can continue to reflect uh, or you can listen to these words
2: Wherever you lay Down to sleep All things are made good For those who believe May you grow From the sea Into a strong As the days unfold, hold your breath to see. Life is a mystery. Enjoy it, it is severe when the way is rough and steep. Love will make your days go It to grow into a tree as the days unfold, hold your breath to see life is a mystery, and joy it is severe. When the way is rough and steep, love will make your day. your breath to see, life is a mystery, and joy it is severe, when the way is rough and steep, Love will make your days complete. Love will make your days complete.
1: And to close, would you stand with us as you're able? We'll put this prayer on the screens and read it together. One strong voice. ever-present Father. Help me to meet you in the scriptures I read and the prayers I say. In the bread I break and the meals I share. In my investments at work, in my enjoyments at play. And in the neighbors and family I welcome, love, and serve for your sake and that your love and peace may reign now and forever. And may grace and peace be with you. Love you all. We'll see you soon.